Hello everyone and welcome to a new episode of the Women Podcast show. Today with my guest, a speaker and an author of the book The Good Stripper. Her name is Marcy Varha. So to cut the long story short, to describe her journey, I would say this. Divorced parents, abandonment by her father, that of her brother, eating disorders, criminal stepfather, that of her mother after being diagnosed with a breast cancer, depression, several miscarriages, stripping in front of the strangers as a part of her double life. So in this episode, Marcy is opening up and not holding back. We talk about the misunderstanding of uh, the body image and the fitness industry, true reasons and roots of the eating disorders firsthand from someone who has experienced both anorectic and binge eating. And most importantly, Marcy is getting her message through, which is to forgive yourself for your mistakes you did in your past as you were just trying to survive. So don't forget to like, share, follow the Women A Podcast show for more inspiration and content. And now enjoy the episode. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Women A Podcast show into the new episode today with Marcy Varha, all the way from Canada. And Marcy is an author, speaker and founder of the Fit versus Fiction Body Image Workshops, named one of the Canada's top 100 health influencers for 2018, 19 and 20. So she's author of the book, The Good Stripper. And this book, um, she said it's dedicated to everyone or anyone who may be struggling to forgive themselves for the mistakes they made when they were just trying to survive in the past. So before writing the book, she had let the fear and shame keep her from living her life fully and completely. And after releasing those negative feelings, she feels free actually to be exactly who she is without worrying how people may judge her or how they may look at her. And she's teaching others how to do the same thing. So it's a privilege for me to invite you, Marcy, to this episode. Thank you for being here with us. And thank you uh, for inviting me. I'm happy to be here. So I listened to your book, The Good Stripper, and it's very, very raw and very inspirational. Uh, So tell us where it all started. Well, I'll say this. I had a very normal beginning, a very (laughs) healthy beginning. So it was just, I lived, I, I was born in Montreal, Quebec, Canada. I had, I was the youngest of three kids. So an older brother and older sister, both my parents, we were financially stable. I was very loved and protected. I felt very safe. I was a little performer. I used to dance and sing and I played sports and I was very encouraged. I had an an incredible mother who really encouraged me to do everything that I wanted to do and made me believe that I had a voice and my opinions mattered. And I felt like I could do anything. I was very confident. I wasn't easily intimidated by anything or anyone. And then what happened was I quickly discovered that life doesn't wait until you're prepared enough or old enough or equipped enough to handle things before it throws stuff at you sometimes. And in my case, life started, I I say it started sucker punching me quite early and it didn't stop. So a few of the things, just a Mm -hmm. kind of a quick, uh, a few of the things that, that threw me for loop were when I was, well, when I was 10 years old, my parents got divorced and that's not terribly traumatic. Although at the time I was the first kid in my entire school whose parents got divorced. It was 1980. It wasn't as common as it is now. And my father, the tough part was my father didn't want to be a father anymore. So he left, he moved out of the, out of the city 
And my mother was left to take care of three kids on her own. And that, that was tough. It was tough because I did start thinking what's wrong with me that my father doesn't want to know me, but it wasn't the trauma that people would maybe expect because I was so close with my mother and I was so close with my brother. My sister and I weren't close at the time. We are now, but at the time we weren't. So, but my mother and brother really picked up the slack from my father in a huge way. So I was still pretty good. And actually our family got closer when my father left. Mm-hmm. So I thought, all right, we got through this. I'm going to, it's going to be okay. And then the real, the real damage came. And so when I was 17, my brother got sick and he was 21 and he ended up dying. And that completely changed my life. That I would say was the biggest, the biggest thing that had happened in my life, especially up to that point. I mean, I was only 17 years old, but it completely derailed me. So this confident, fearless kid that I used to be, I was not anymore because I adored him. He was, I refer to him in the book as the invisible armor I wore out in the world to protect me. My mom was home, a safe place to come home to, but my brother was my armor. And without him, I felt very unprotected in the world. So I was terrified of everything. Plus, I thought that he was a better person than me. And I thought that he deserved to be here more than I did. And so I had to earn my place. And mm-hmm. I, didn't feel like I, I didn't feel like I had enough to give the world. And so the only thing I thought I could be is maybe I'm, I wasn't smart enough. I wasn't funny enough. Maybe I could be pretty. And at 17 years old, society was telling me pretty is skinny. Mm-hmm. And so I decided to be as skinny as possible. And so I always say, my brother, Billy, his, Billy's death gave birth to my eating disorder. So I developed a very severe eating disorder, which would follow me and control my life for the next couple of decades. So there was, I was dealing with my brother, trying to deal with my brother's death through this distraction of an eating disorder. And then a few months later, my stepfather, because my mother had remarried, my stepfather, we found out wasn't who he said he was. And he was a criminal and he was arrested. I went to prison. And then a few months after that, my mother was diagnosed with breast cancer. So this is you know, between 17 and 18 years old. That's a lot, that's a lot to deal process. with yeah. while dealing with my eating disorder. So I was really on shaky ground and my mother did okay for a few years after that. But then it just, my self-esteem was so low and my self-worth was so low that I went from this kid who thought she can do anything to thinking the only thing I, I should do is disappear. And so I kind of went into a bit of a depression at 17, 18, 19 years old. And then I, I kind of picked myself up and thought, okay, I'm going to get on with my life. I moved to a different city and I thought it was okay, but still battling the eating disorder. And then from there, again, a few things that happened. So I ended up, I ended up getting married. I was hesitant about getting married because I was afraid of what life had in store for me. And I was all right because I got married and I dealt with a couple of miscarriages and then got pregnant again. And, and this time my mom, my mom, her cancer came back and she didn't tell me how severe it was because she didn't want me to be stressed. And she passed away while I was pregnant. So I didn't get a minute as a mother with my mother. And that was devastating, but I still couldn't deal with it because I was pregnant. So I had to kind of push that trauma down. Yeah, I got pregnant again. Uh, at that point, I got sick and ended up with this bizarre illness that you know, near fatal Ill- illness that put me in the hospital for two months, lost that baby, got pregnant again, moved. And I was dealing with so much trauma 
that the next part of my life, I mean, I was 31 years old and had been through so much trauma. I went through something that was described as traumatic overload, which is you can't handle anymore at that point. And I won't get into it too much because I want people to read the book, but that was when, that was when my marriage turned. And, and at this point I didn't have anyone. My mother was gone. My, my father was gone. My brother was gone. Didn't have a relationship with my sister. All I had was my husband, my partner, and he changed. And I feel like he took advantage of this time in my life when I was very, very vulnerable and decided to keep suggesting that we open up our marriage sexually. Something that I had said no to earlier. At this point, I didn't, I was feeling very different after I had my last baby, not quite myself. He knew that and very susceptible, I believe, and Mm -hmm. to to being manipulated, I feel. Mm -hmm. And and we did, we opened up our marriage and, and the result of that was, I felt I had two purposes in life. One was to be the best mother I could be to my children. And the other one, I believed that I was not worthy of love. But what my partner had shown me and what other men were showing me that I could be desired. And so I ended up, first we would do stuff together, my my ex-husband and I, and then I began to look for my self-worth in other people through the sexualization of my body. And I started this secret double life of when I was with my children, I was all about my children. When I wasn't with my children, when they were at school or when they were sleeping, I was out allowing myself to be sexualized, trying to find empowerment through that. And I would go days without sleeping and I wasn't eating and I wasn't taking care of myself. And that nearly destroyed me. And in the book, I talk about how it took, it took a while for me and, and a few false attempts to reclaim my life and to reclaim my body. But eventually, eventually I did. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah, so that was like your book on a fast train kind of thing that you just. Yes. <laughs> so guys, make sure <laughs> couldn't, you, you couldn't get it all in. Yeah. 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 There's so much more. Right. Yeah. So I'm interested to know, because you said at the beginning, your your brother passed away and it was very, very like tough situation for you how do you see men in your life from that point I mean how do you see your husband or what was your relationship in the men figures how is it how did it how did his death yeah well I think I, I so I've had different experiences or different feelings towards it I will say that you know while there is a theme there was a theme in my life of abandonment with men. I mean, the the men in my life between my father, my brother, my stepfather, my husband, they either left or betrayed me or left and betrayed me. Mm -hmm. So there's that theme. However, it was never about them. I don't, I don't um, fear men. I don't have disdain for men. It's, it's not that I think, I think, as I said, my father, my relationship with my father that didn't have a huge impact on me. In fact, I, I ended up reconnecting with him six months before he died. And I have no bitterness. I, I see that he wasn't a bad person. He just didn't have, he, else, he didn't have great parents. So he didn't know how to be a father, but I have no bitterness towards him at all. I have some compassion. My brother, the loss, losing my brother, I'm still gutted. And it's been mm-hmm. many, many years, but I'm still gutted from it. But I think what happened was I was looking for, my brother and a partner. So, which sounds weird, but I mean, in the fact that my brother was so loving and so warm and so protective that when I met my husband, I thought that's, I thought that's what I was getting. And there were moments yeah. for sure. There were moments 
it was a good relationship in a lot of ways, especially at the beginning, but it wasn't what I, what I was expecting. And I think maybe because I was so looking for what I was missing, what I was so looking for that love that I missed, that, that unconditional love I had for my brother, that when I met this person who seemed great, that I went towards that and stayed there for a really, really long time, even though it wasn't, didn't turn out to be what I was hoping. Tell me about your eating disorder, because I know you mentioned in the book at the beginning, after your uh, brother died, you developed the idea that you need to prove to the world that you are worthy of all the good things. Mm -hmm. And you haven't been really eating much to be, to be really skinny, right? And right. then later, later in your life, you, you switch to opposite. So mm -hmm. can you explain the reasons or? Well, eating disorders are very, they're very misunderstood and they're very complicated. And mm -hmm. so, yeah, I always say I can be the poster child because I kind of did everything, but it's just control. It's about, it's not about food. It's a food is the weapon that I used to hurt myself, whether I was restricting it or abusing myself by overeating it. So there were times at the beginning, for sure, when I was restricting it because it was control. I needed, I needed to feel control. When Billy died, he was, to me, he was this, he seemed very healthy and this handsome, very outgoing guy. It was just, it came out of nowhere for me. So it seemed like the world was totally out of control. The one thing, the one thing, especially at that age, that I felt I could control with my body. I got to choose what I ate and what I didn't eat and how much I exercised and how much I slept. That's the only thing I felt control over, even though eating disorders take control very quickly. So it started with me totally restricting what I was eating and, and focusing. It was also easier for me to focus on my body than his loss. Mm -hmm. So I always say I, I, I found it easier to focus on my empty belly than his empty room. So it was a distraction. Later on, again, it was just it, the, the overeating and the binge eating. It also goes along with when I was compulsively exercising and I belonged to two 24-hour gyms because one had the audacity to close at Christmas and to, to close a little bit earlier on Sundays. And I couldn't have that. It's all control over your body. And it was all abuse of my body. So I went from under eating to over exercising to overeating. And it's just, it went, it went back and forth. It was so, just focus on my body. So overeating was your way of what? I think when I was overeating, it was two things because it depends on different times in my life when I would do that. Cause there were times when I thought it was behind me, but I hadn't mm -hmm. gotten treatment. I just thought it's, it's, I was very lucky that when I was pregnant, I could enjoy my pregnancies. And I, and I, It was very important for me to not be starving myself or, or abusing myself with food while I was pregnant. And I, and I did that, which was great. I was just so focused on the baby. But I think when I was, when I was binging, overeating the food, there were two things I was trying to do. I was trying to fill a hole. You know, there was just this hole that I had that I was just trying to and fill, but I, it was just, it was loneliness and it was sadness. But I was trying to, you know, you feel it, that those feelings are physical. You feel it. And I was trying to stuff it with food and it just, just, it just, it didn't work. But then the other thing was there were times when I was acting out sexually and I felt bad about that. I felt like a terrible person and food and sex are very similar in some ways. It sounds weird, but, but I would abuse myself with both of them and mm -hmm. punish myself with both of them. And so there were times when I would 
act out sexually and then feel bad about it. And I would punish myself by overeating food because again, it was, it, it hurt me physically. And I felt that I deserved, I deserved to be punished. And so overeating food, which would hurt me physically was a punishment. And it also though was, this goes for both when you're starving yourself and overeating because there's pain involved in both. It's that emotional pain, especially when you're younger, it's, it's much harder to understand. It's much harder to wrap your head around why you're feeling this emotional pain and, and to call it out and to name it and to know what it is. Physical pain, we understand. You cut yourself, it hurts, you get that. You break your leg, it hurts, you get that. So because the emotional pain was so deep and so big and painful, that was too much. So I would turn it into a physical pain because that I can understand. Mm-hmm. I'm just trying to think about what would you say to someone who is trying to develop healthy relationship with their body also like it's very difficult to control that situation you can't it, it is it's that's the thing where I say it's so misunderstood it's also really really hard to recover from an eating disorder because it's the only disorder that our society cheers on it's the mm-hmm. only disorder that our society actually encourages does it mean to, but you've got the fitness industry and the diet industry who's always telling us to be smaller, that smaller is better. You have, there are so many times when somebody will be ill and they'll lose weight and they feel terrible. And someone goes, oh, you lost weight. What happened? I had the flu. Oh, lucky you. No, it's not. It's unhealthy, but it is. It's, we assume someone loses weight. It's positive. They gain weight. It's negative. And that's not, that's not always the case. Healthy, skinny is not always synonymous with healthy, but our, our society is so skewed when it comes to that. So it is very hard. I found it hard when I was very, very thin when I was younger. And there were times when there were people who would say, oh, you look, you look terrible. You need to eat. But then there would be people who'd say, oh, you lost weight. You look great. And it's that that I would listen to, right? That's the encouragement that I wanted, even though it was unhealthy. So it's very, very hard to get help, but you need to get help. I mean, there's a lot of stuff you can do, I guess, on your own, but this is, this is a, eating disorders have the highest mortality rate of any mental health issue. This is life or death. And people are afraid to reach out because it could be embarrassing. There's nothing glamorous about it. But let me tell you, you, you need to reach out to professionals. Absolutely. It's too big because you're trying to, to rationalize with yourself when you've got, when it's a mental health issue, you can't, you can't rely on the same thing that's giving you the bad information to give you the positive information. It just doesn't work. So mm-hmm. now I'm at a point, thank goodness, where I've been in recovery a long time. I have those tools. My brain goes to the right place. So when I'm getting feelings, it can turn them around. But you need to get those tools first. So some you that's I can give all these tips on what you say to yourself. And but honestly, it's professional help that is absolutely needed. Because we don't two things. A, we don't see ourselves realistically especially when you have body image issues, you don't see yourself the way other people do. So we are so hard on ourselves. It's like those carnival mirrors. You know those mirrors you look in and it makes you big or makes you tall or makes you, that's how we see ourselves. So first thing that people have to know is you are not seeing yourself realistically. So Objectively, that's, yeah. You just, you're just not, it's, it's, mm-hmm. yeah, you can't. So that's, that's one of the things that we need that why you need to reach out the other thing is people have to separate the disorder from the person so eating disorders are embarrassing they can be 
they're gross, um, they're bad, but we are not bad or gross or embarrassing for battling that. And that's the difference. People really, I, I think there's a lot of shame that goes along with it. There are times when I remember early on feeling guilty that I had it. I'm like, here I am worrying about a pound that I gained and there are people who are living in war and, and poverty and, and here I am, but you can't do that. You can't do that because our issues are our issues. And again, the eating disorder is the bad thing, but people who are battling them, they deserve to be happy. They deserve to be healthy. And so anyone who is battling something like this, know that you, it's not you. It's not you. This is a, it's like a disorder like, like any other disease. And you deserve to be healthy and you deserve to be happy. And you can be. I, I had given up so many times. Don't give up because recovery is absolutely possible. And it's so worth it. Mm -hmm. You mentioned help of the professionals we should reach out to. What kind of professionals do you mean? Do you mean mental health? therapist or nutritionist? Yeah, no, I wouldn't go. I mean, it depends. I, I, it's tricky. See, this is the thing too. You have to be very careful. I've reached out over the years. I mean, I battled this for 20 years. And in that time, I'd seen a lot of different professionals and some were great and some were not. And I'm glad that I didn't let the, the ones that gave me the, the false information or if it wasn't working, that I didn't kind of go, well, therapy doesn't work. I went into a treatment program. It was through mm -hmm. a hospital. It was a day program, three days a week. That's what I needed. But I also had to be at the right, the right program at the right time. Had somebody brought that program to me when I wasn't ready, it probably wouldn't have worked. If I was ready, but with the wrong person, then it also may not have worked. So you have to find something, you have to be ready and you have to find the right program. If you talk to somebody or you go into a, a program and it's not right for you, that doesn't mean you should give up. Just find the right one. Cause I got some really bad advice from, from some doctors or some therapists and thank God I, I didn't listen. That's my question because the one scene stayed in my mind from the book. There was a doctor that told you, you should actually lose even more weight when you came so skinny to him. And uh, uh, tell me about that. Can you? So that was, I had, well, I hadn't, so I, it, I was actually at a really healthy weight. It was just after my brother died. So he died. Mm -hmm. It was the end of May. And this was like beginning of September. So very, very close to after he had died. I had already seen myself becoming obsessed with my weight. Uh, I was always fit. I was always athletic. There were no weight issues in my family. It wasn't a, a thing. I had actually spent the summer teaching dance at a summer camp. So I was dancing every day. And it was at the camp where I started to feel better about my body and thought, okay, you know what? I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be healthier. I'm going to eat fine and I'm, I'm going to be okay. And got back and I went for a physical, regular physical. And it was my family doctor. So he was also my brother's doctor. So he knew what I had just been through. And I had the wherewithal at 17 years old in the midst of this trauma to say to him, I don't want to be, oh no, I said, because he wanted me to get weighed as part of the physical. And I said, I'll get weighed, but please don't tell me what I weigh. Because I knew I was healthy. I knew mm -hmm. I was fit. But I also knew that I had been really hyper-focused on my weight. And I was afraid if I heard a number that I didn't like, that it would send me back and it would mm -hmm. spiral. So I said, please don't tell me, but he didn't care. And I got on the scale and he just, he, he just started pointing at me saying, look at that, look at your stomach. Uh, what is that? And he said, if I were you, I wouldn't wear a bathing suit. And then he told me that, he said, medically speaking, I was fine but society was very thin. And if I wanted to fit into society, 
I'd have to lose 10 pounds. So that was devastating because here was this man in a, it wasn't just a guy, it was a doctor, was you know, like telling me that I didn't fit into society, which was looking back is so insane because again, I was very fit. So, but I didn't, I, I remember saying to myself, don't let it affect you. Don't let it affect you. Don't let it affect you. But the thing was, I, w- I remember that day because I was going straight from that, from his office to the hospital because my brother, the disease that, that took my brother was a hereditary liver disease that he'd been born with that we didn't know because he didn't have symptoms till it was too late. But because it's hereditary, my sister and I had to get tested for it. And my liver enzymes were abnormal. So I had to be tested. It was weekly for a while, then monthly for a while. So I was going straight from his office to the hospital where my brother died to be tested for the same disease that my brother had. So it was, it was an emotional, it was too much. It was too mm-hmm. much. And I remember getting to the hospital with my mom, going into the cafeteria, because we'd always do that when we got there. And I ordered toast, but no butter or anything. Because in my head, I'm like, okay, this, here we go. And I started dieting and then I lost the 10 and then I lost another and then I lost another, I believe. And yeah, and I, I lost about 30 pounds from there when I was already fit. And I went to see him because he would have me write down everything I ate for the week and come in and show it to him. And then he'd yell at me if I ate something he didn't approve of. So I was terrified of food. And when I lost all that weight, I remember then he said, let me weigh you, you look thin. And then he said, okay, you can stop now. And I remember thinking, well, you ain't seen nothing yet. You know, <laughs> so why so did you say that? Why did you want it to prove to him something? I think you know? it was. I think so. I think it was, and it was also that's all I had. Like it was still he, the eating disorder was a distraction, and so this was my. This became my thing. This became my focus. This became my identity. This took over my life, and it was a screw you kind of thing. You know, he mm-hmm. told me I wasn't good enough if I didn't lose weight. Well, now. It, he's not going to be in control of when I stop now. He's not going to have all that control. And, but then he, I think, oh, I I ended up moving soon after that. So he just wasn't my doctor anymore. But I mean, you know, years later, I've heard horror stories that he, he hadn't changed. This was somebody who in retrospect and after therapy, I learned that he had a thing with me. He was trying to mold me into what his ideal was. But because I had, I knew other people that saw him that were heavier than me and he had no issue with their weight, but he fixated on me for some Why reason. Why on you? Why on you specifically? I don't know. I don't know, right? I don't know. No, but it was pure negligence because it, mm. it, he wasn't speaking. He even said it wasn't from a medical standpoint. It was his opinion. It was what he found attractive. So he triggered all that losing weight thing from, for you again. Well, it, I, I guess... What I say is I can't blame him for my eating disorder because it started when, when Billy died, but I was doing okay. And that yeah. certainly, certainly set me back a hundred percent because again, this is for me, it was a, I wasn't seeing him as this flawed, misogynistic man. I was seeing him as a doctor, a professional. We, we usually go for help to doctors like in general. So why we should like question their decision and that's opinions, right. right. Yeah. I'll, I'll I, tell you this. Mm. Sorry, I was going to say this. I mean, it was just a few years ago when I, I happened to see a review somebody had posted about him on one of those online survey things. And a young girl had posted, and again, this is 
this is just a few years ago, had posted that she went to see him and she finally had the courage to tell him that she had an eating disorder. And his response was, oh, you just need a boyfriend. So he still hasn't learned. Mm. But I had another doctor. Sorry, I'll just say this. Just to fast forward a bunch of of years. And I think I mentioned this in the book. I do. Is that when I was overeating and I was binge eating and I was completely out of control and it was very unhealthy. But what had happened was I had been bodybuilding and I had been way too thin. So then when I started binge eating, I gained like 40 pounds in a very short period of time. But I looked pretty average because I had been so underweight yeah but I but I knew it made 40 pounds in two months is not okay and I took myself to the crisis clinic at the hospital and I had two kids at the time and I was I was in such bad shape and I I, and he was the doctor there was an eating disorder specialist another one that doesn't have the best reputation and I told him what I was doing that I was out of control and I was binge eating and it was horrible and he said I don't believe you he said if if you were eating that much you'd be fatter Mm. and he sent me home it was so what do you do with that? You go to the professionals and they send you away. It's, it's, but no. I didn't stop. I didn't like, I, I eventually I, I did. I realized I needed to at least try to beat this and it was worth it. Now I understand when you said like eating disorders are so misunderstood in society. When you're giving us these examples from your own life, like doctors are telling you these things. Exactly. Crazy. Exactly. It's not a vanity thing. It's not, you know, people, people say all the time to somebody who's underweight, just eat or overweight, just, just stop eating. Oh, okay. We hadn't thought of that. You know, it's, it's, it's not eat. I remember being in a restaurant with my mother when I was a teenager or maybe about 20. I feel like that was a really bad part of my disorder. And I remember, of course, I was going to order something like a salad or something. And I remember some, I remember this, this is so years ago a waiter walking by with pizza. And I remember thinking, I really wanted that. And thinking I could have it. Like there was no reason why I couldn't have, and I want, but I could, I could not get myself. I couldn't do it. I just couldn't do it. Even though I want it. It's just, it's so much bigger than people realize. You can't just tell somebody who's anorexic to eat or somebody who's binge eating to stop eating. What I was, I used to feel like a drug addict when I was, there were times when I was binge eating and I would be looking, God, it's crazy, but I would be scavenging through the cupboards looking for maybe there's like a leftover piece of Halloween candy that fell out of a bag four months earlier that I could eat. I would go into the freezer and eat stuff and not wait until it defrosted. I would throw stuff out so I wouldn't eat it and then go back into the garbage to get, it's just, it's so much bigger and, and so much more dis- deceitful and, and just vicious than people than people realize and, and people really need to have compassion mm-hmm. with people who are and it's hard look it's hard to be friends with partnered with family of somebody who's going through it I mean my sister had the hardest time watching me destroy myself it was so hard on her and my mother but but you you that's why you need the help of a professional because it is a much much bigger dangerous issue than people realize so it has actually roots in the mental health, in how you look, how you see yourself or what happened to you. Sorry? The eating disorders. Yeah. It's how I understand that, that you need to look inside of yourself and find the roots. Why, why are you doing this or why are you acting? I, I think so. I mean, I think, I think first you get help because you can't, it's like if a fire, if a house is on fire, you don't stand around going, why is it on fire? You put it out 
and then you figure out why it's on fire. So it's the same thing. You, you can't think rationally while you're still in it. You need to, you need to get help first. Mm -hmm. And why I loved the treatment program I went to, which is a weird thing to say, but there were, there were different parts to it. I mean, they, they, they helped you with how to choose food, but then it was also art therapy and there were different parts of it that you, you really, you were getting physically healthy at the same time as you were getting emotionally and psychologically healthy. And so, yeah, you need both those things. You can't just hit one without the other. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Tell me about what was the reaction of your mom on all of this, because you didn't mention anything in this relationship, like how your mom was trying to maybe help you with the disorder. Oh, it's, it's so hard. I mean, my, my, my poor mother, because she just lost a child and here she was seeing mm. another child hurting herself. I mean, it was yeah. very stressful. That's years later, I wrote a book for parents on raising kids with healthy body image because A, I didn't want kids to go through what I went through, but I also, I wrote it for my, my mom in a sense. I mean, I'd already lost her, but I, I, there's nothing worse for a parent than seeing their child in pain and not being able to do anything about it, whether that's physical or emotional pain. And my mother felt powerless. She didn't know what to do. And I'll tell you, she did everything right because there were, she didn't put pressure on me to look a certain way. She didn't put pressure on me to be phenomenal in school. There was no pressure there. And she, she would tell me I was beautiful, but she would also tell me I was smart and worthy. So she, she did all the right things, which is also really important to know about eating disorders. You can, sure, there are factors, society and, and bad messages from family and, and people that can add to it 100% or even be a catalyst for it. But I, on paper, not have developed an eating disorder because I had such great support, but it was that control part of losing my brother. That is what did it. But my mother you know, the one, one thing I'll never forget is, as I said, my, when my brother died, my sister and I were tested for the disease he had. And because my results were weird, I was sent to New York to get further tested. I had a liver biopsy and I was there for about a week. And while I was in the hospital, I wouldn't eat. I was very, very like that. I wasn't even worrying about dying. I was worried about, I'm going to be in a bed for a week and I'm not exercising and I don't have control over what I'm eating. That was my stress. And I remember at one point she walked out of the room cause she's like, here, she just lost a child. And here I'm in the hospital being tested and I'm worrying about what I'm gonna eat. I mean, it was really, really difficult, but, but she was always there for me. She would, she would just, she tried everything she could. I mean, she took me to a therapist, but it just wasn't back then too. It wasn't spoken about like it is now it was the eighties. It, it, eating disorders were rampant, dieting was rampant, but the help wasn't there. And so she tried, but yeah, it was very, very difficult for her. It makes me sad that she doesn't see my recovery now. She saw some of it. She saw, she was still alive when, when I had some recovery, it just wasn't Full the one. lasting recovery mm -hmm. that I have now. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I'm sure she somehow can see you, you know, I hope so. Yeah, I'm sure. When I was listening to your book, you mentioned, and that actually happened, you had a few miscarriages, right? Mm -hmm. It's not easy to process again. But I remember you said something about something that your mom believed in that helped you go through at least one of them. So she was, well, there are a few things. So I had two miscarriages while my mom was alive. And I know at one point, 
so there were early miscarriages and they were really difficult, obviously. But I remember saying to her, I felt bad complaining to her about Mm -hmm. it because she had lost the child at 21 years old and here I'd lost a baby that was, it was so early on. And I was, I felt guilty. And I remember her saying to me, don't do that. Don't minimize your pain. A loss is a loss and you need to feel your pain and honor it. And that was, that's carried me through a lot of difficult times. Like I I think we do that a lot. We minimize our pain because we compare it to other things. And that Mm -hmm. was a gift that she gave me. And then it was her message to me about self-care, about uh, more than self-care, about being your own advocate when it comes to healthcare that saved my, because my third pregnancy, and again, I won't, Say too much so that people don't this say anything is, this to read, is but the, this is the that's thing. what you were thinking. Yeah, 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 yeah. it was basically, it was her, her mess. She, there was negligence in her case. Her doctors messed up in her case and it led to her death. And so her message to my sister and I were fight. If you feel something's wrong with your body, fight. People are intimidated by doctors, very easily intimidated. Doctors can be intimidating. There are fantastic doctors. I have met some amazing doctors and nurses, but there are also some doctors who are not great, mm-hmm. who, who mistake their, their talent for being godly and they're, they're for, they forget that they're human. And so what had happened when I was pregnant for the third time, something went wrong. I knew something was wrong. I was 34 weeks pregnant and I knew something was wrong and went to the doctor and, and they basically told me to go home. And they said that I was just being neurotic and everything was fine. And I went home and, and so this was my mom. My mom had died in June and I was due in November and now it was September. So I went home and I just cried the whole night and remembered her words, which were fight. If you feel something is wrong, then you fight. And I felt in my gut, something was wrong. And I went back the next day and I demanded to be seen. And I got an amazing doctor this time who was like, okay, we're going to check you out. And he said, something isn't right. I don't know what, something's not right, but we're going to take him out immediately. And originally the doctor the day before had told me not to come back for a week. He said, you're fine. He said, I can guarantee you at least a week. If you still feel bad, you still feel something's not right, come back in a week. I went back the next day. They did an emergency C-section and they said that he had lost 75% of his blood when my placenta separated. And I had, I waited an hour we would have lost him. Mm-hmm. So it was, she saved my son. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Just stand up for yourself. Right. In any, yeah. If you feel yeah, it. exactly. Right. So how is possible that despite this traumatic overload, as you define that, like all of those experiences that you didn't gave up and you actually got out of that and you well, are speaking to me now. I know, but you know what though? I'll tell you something. I did give up. I mean, I'm not going to pretend that I. Okay, but what do you I, mean? I gave up. What do you mean by well, that? Well, I think first it wasn't a, it, it, it wasn't a conscious. Okay, I'm giving up. It was the traumatic overload. So that's I don't even know if that's a if that's a scientific term or was a therapist. It thing is now. Just a therapist. <laughs> yeah, it is now. But I remember a therapist. Therapist had said that to me. Yeah. was that because it continued, right? I mean, we know it wasn't, that's not where it ended. You know, I lost yeah. another baby and I was spent months in the hospital and then luckily had this second miracle baby. And then my marriage turned and then I was doing stripping and, and being promiscuous and still battling the eating disorder. I mean, and then I had, I had my own liver surgery. I mean, it was just this constant that I couldn't catch my breath. And so it was such an overload of trauma where you, you don't have time. It would be great if I, 
something bad happened and you could pause life, mm-hmm. deal with it, get through it, and then move on. You know, press play again and then move on. That's not what happens. So sometimes you're given some time and you have the support around you. I didn't have the time. I, I wasn't given the time or the support to get over what was happening before something else hit me. And it's like really trying, being knocked down and you're trying to get up and then you're still being pummeled. You just, and then you get to a point where you just can't. And so with the traumatic overload and I had another baby and I think my hormones were off. I just wasn't, I was so off kilter that I kind of dissociated where it was too much. I couldn't handle any more trauma. It just, I couldn't. So my brain, that part of my brain was kind of like, nope, no more. And I went into almost another personality where I was this confident, sexual woman that felt like I had sort of superpowers while also trying to be the best mother to my kids because A, I had had the best mother and lost her young. So I I didn't know how much time I had. And I had almost died when I was 29. So I didn't know how much time I had. So I wanted every memory of theirs to be spectacular. So in that splitting, it was a way that my body tried to survive Mm-hmm. and to cope and to not give up, but it was really just adding more. I didn't realize it was adding more trauma because it was adding shame and it was adding guilt and it was destroying my self-worth even more. And so when I did when I did decide to kind of leave that part of it, sort of the sexual part of it and to get help because I realized I was hurting other people. And as soon as I realized I was hurting other people, I couldn't do it anymore. But then I had to deal with the guilt and the shame and everything. And that, that was harder than anything. And so it was when I finally was able to forgive myself for that, that I could get really honestly healthy physically and emotionally. It was getting to that point. First, it was, first it was years ago when I realized, okay, I had given up. I really had given up on myself. I thought I didn't, I would never be happy. And I didn't feel like I deserved to be happy, but I felt my kids needed a mother and they deserved a mother that was healthy and happy and present. And so I went into treatment for my eating disorder for them first. But again, it didn't stick because I was dealing with all this trauma and this guilt and shame. And so it wasn't until a few years ago when I was ready to forgive myself and really look at the not not focus on what I did that was making me feel bad. It was the why. Why did I do those things? What was going on in my life that that led to those choices and those actions and that self-destructive behavior. And once I realized all the things that were adding to that and that were steering that ship, I was able to forgive myself and to understand that I did the best that I could. I never wanted to hurt myself. I never wanted to hurt my children. I never wanted to hurt other people. I was just trying to do the best that I could. And once I did that, that is what really gave me the strength to move on in a healthy way. Okay. So you're saying that you at some point in your life you gave up on yourself mm-hmm. and that's the point when you started to live double life that's what I'm hearing no I no so the double life the double life that was the thing so there mm-hmm. was the two parts so so the double life just it happened it wasn't I didn't consciously think okay I'm gonna become this other person that's that didn't happen consciously it just kind of happened and then I was dealing with who am I and I don't like this person and I don't recognize this person the, the giving up came when I sort of got out of that life and was looking at what I had done with myself and thought, I don't deserve 
to be, I'm a bad person. I don't deserve to be happy. I don't deserve to be healthy. I'll never get that way. I'm not loved. I'm not wanted. I don't deserve a, I went back to the way I felt when my brother died, which was, I don't deserve to be here. Mm-hmm. I don't deserve to use space and resources on this planet. And it got to a point where originally I thought, well, I need to be here for my kids. And then it, another, but then it got to a point where I thought maybe they'd be better off without me. And, and that's a very low place to be. To be and mm-hmm. then I talk about in the book about how this kind of spontaneous interaction I had with a woman working at the grocery store turned me around. She saw something in me that I didn't see, this kind of casual conversation where she said she saw light in me that I didn't see. And that's when I realized, you know what? I think, I think there's still a little fight in me mm-hmm. left. I think, I don't, you know, I don't know. I don't know how, I don't, but I think it might be there and it's worth investigating. And that's when I decided to, to try to get better. Yeah. Tell me about your, your double life, about your kind of also like sexual life with your husband, if, if you want, like, what yeah, I mean, again, I, I you to do. Yeah. I won't say too much because it's uh, easier, yeah. better for people to read it. But I think, I think at the time, he was he wasn't trying to hurt me. It wasn't that. It wasn't an abusive situation. It wasn't. I wasn't forced into anything. It's important to say, but I was very vulnerable. And again, I didn't have a support system. He was it, and I was dealing with the eating disorder. I was feeling really low self worth, and also again, I had just I had. When you think about physically and emotionally what I had been through in this short period of time. So I had had my son and my first son in 98, but my mother died in 98. So I was dealing with the loss of my mom and the birth of my son, who was born under traumatic circumstances. And then in 2000, I got pregnant again, lost that baby, uh, had was in the hospital for months, kidney failure, respiratory failure, got out of the hospital in, I think it was March of 2000, had my next son in 2001. And then my husband wanted to sort of open things up. It, 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 that's a lot to go through in a very short period of time. Physically, just the, the babies and the, the, the illness that I went through and then having another baby, that's a lot. So I was on, again, very shaky ground. And this person that was supposed to, I felt, kind of take me in and protect me kind of saw this as an opportunity to maybe fulfill some fantasies that he had and mm-hmm. wanted to open up our marriage and wanted to start swinging and, and having sex with other people. And somebody who's dealing with body image issues too. I mean, I, I was fit and I was thin, but it doesn't matter. I, I had my own issues. It's a weird, I wasn't looking to be showing myself off to a bunch of people, but I started to believe that that was what I was good for. And so that became, that became how I would justify my worth. Again, either being a good mom or being, being desired by other people. Mm-hmm. And it was tough because I did, I wasn't eating. I, I always say, and I say this in my book that when I, when I started stripping, which I only did for a few months, but it was significant that I was the only dancer there who had a protein shake in her locker. I didn't have a sip of alcohol because I would like, I was on my diet and I would, I would have my protein shake and then leave the club and go to the gym. And then from the gym, go to the grocery store to get stuff for the kids and then come home and then take a shower and get them up. And it was just this cycle that I was on. 
And I mean, people, people knew like the other moms at school, no one knew what I was doing, but they knew I was going to the gym and like two o'clock in the morning, three o'clock in the morning. And I always had so much energy. I'm sure they thought I was on something, but it was, I would say it was just, I was running on fumes. It was the trauma. Like I didn't have a single drug. I didn't have any alcohol in year for years. It was seriously just the trauma that was, that was pushing me. Mm -hmm. So you said you did it for a few months only. Yeah. So the dancing was, yeah, but it was, yeah. But then the other, that was, that's the part that was probably the least, listen, I I don't love that I did it. I don't love that I, it was risky because I, I risked my kids. Anyone could have found out. I mean, who knows whose dad could have been at the, you know, and I, and I was really terrified for years that my kids would now they know about it. But I was terrified when they were younger that they would hear about it. And, and it, wasn't, it wasn't safe to be leaving a club like that at four o'clock in the morning. Like there were so many things that, that weren't great about it. And you do, I was objectified, but it was, it was the more one-on-one stuff that was unhealthy for me. It was me just sort of a man would give me attention mm-hmm. and, you know, I, I, I could be with them or that, that was the, the worst part but the dancing the dancing is it's so mind-blowing to me because because the reason why that's such a big thing is because that's even the stuff that I did that was more shameful to me it's sort of private it's between you and that person whereas you're on stage I mean like I said I was I was I was the mother of two toddlers like they were really little at the time and here I am you know and I had to think when I go to pick them up at daycare like is anybody you know that person's looking at me did they see me it's it, it, it was a, it's a big deal. It's a big deal to do. You know, I love to dance still, but like there's a difference between dancing in your living room and even posting fun videos on Facebook and dancing naked in front of strangers at a club. But, but I also, I want to say very clearly too, I don't, I don't think that there's any, I don't, I have tremendous respect for anyone in, in, in any kind of sex industry. It's not, I don't want to ever sound like I'm putting down um, anyone who dances or that anyone who dances should feel shame. Cause I don't think they should at all. Mm-hmm. But did your husband know about that? Or everything. Like, was he, everything knew about, right? he knew about everything. And that's the thing. There was no, there was no deceit on my part. A hundred percent. And I'll tell you this. I mean, I've seen a few therapists over the years and, and they've all said there was no cheating on my end, even though I was with other people, I didn't want to cross that line. But mm-hmm. once he, once once he crossed that line with me and, and wanted me with other people, well, then I felt like, well, he doesn't get to choose all the time. You know, it was a, it was a terrible way for me to control. I, I always say, I wish that that rebellious nature in me that I had when I was little would have taken me out of the situation, you know, would have said, screw that. I'm going to, you know, take care of my body. Instead it was screw that. I'm going to sleep with other people. Like I, that wasn't the healthiest way to do it, but he, for sure he knew he, he, we used to go to strip bars together. God, we used to go so often that I remember walking in once and one of the dancers was like, hi, Marcy. And I'm like, okay, we're going too much if they, <laughs> if I'm known by name. But then it was, I, I wasn't making money at all because I was with my kids and I felt the need to make money and I wanted to contribute. And, and so I needed a job that I could you know, be there for my kids, but then also make money. And that was the only thing that I could do when you're home with your kids all day is, is to do something at night when they're sleeping. But he knew and, and he liked that I was contributing 
financially. He knew, he didn't know the details of the people that I was with, but he knew I was with other people. And I don't think he didn't love that for his ego, but I also, what I believe is that if he had said to me, you can't, like you could only do stuff when you're with me, like you can't do, then he, I feel like he knows that I would have been like, well, I'm not doing anything. And I think he wanted to be able to have his fun. So he was willing to let me kind of do stuff on the side, which was really putting my health in danger. I, I, I it's a tough thing. It's a, t- it's a tough thing still for me to reconcile with. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. But it's very interesting to hear that it was the way how you basically wanted to prove your self-worth for yourself. Which wasn't, it wasn't the way <laughs> it didn't work. It didn't work. <laughs> But like there are, many, it, there are many other situations that people do that, like not maybe so extreme or things like that, but still it's crazy. Like when you think about it, mm-hmm. like what, what, what we do in order for us to really feel worthy. We look outside. But, That's yeah, the thing. We look yeah. outside, whether it's, it doesn't matter. Some people will kill themselves with work so that they get that, those kind of accolades, you know, but, but that's yeah. not super healthy or people do it all the time at the gym, you know, they, they have to get themselves to look a certain way because it's that kind of, but it's, you're always going to be, you, you can't, when you put yourself worth into someone else's hands, I mean, that's super dangerous. You're giving them all the power and, and that's just never a safe way to go. It's, it's, you really have to, it sounds so cliche, but you really have to find that strength within yourself. And it took me a long time. It took me until I was close to 50 years old to to get to that place but i'm it's very life-changing when it does happen yeah yeah yeah. as you said like the the main theme of your book like what is the purpose i would say is like just forgive yourself for the for the what what happened in your past what did you do what you did because you did the best you could actually with what you that's had that's right that's right and you can't let shame or what you what other people think keep you from from being exactly who you're supposed to be I mean that's one big thing too that came out of it for me was that I didn't know how people would receive the book I didn't know the what the reaction would be from anybody and I was prepared for people to shun me I was prepared for people to be mad at me I was prepared for people to to really look down on me and I was ready for that And so I had to get to a point where I knew whatever the reaction would be from anybody that I would be okay because I was finally okay. In the past, I was terrified of people knowing my past because I wasn't okay with it. So if someone said, oh, you're a terrible person, I'd be like, yeah, you're right. I am a terrible person. But now I don't feel that way. So other people's opinions of who I am, who I was, what I did, it has zero effect on me because I'm okay with it. And, and luckily I didn't get any backlash. I mean, what I found instead were, I, st- I mean, I constantly get messages from people, men and women saying, I don't feel so alone or, you know, not everyone has been through everything that I've been through, but people have been through loss. People have been through body image issues. People have been through difficult relationships. There, there are different themes that will relate to different people. And it's so important for us to stop trying to be role models by being perfect that's not that that's not helpful what what is helpful is when somebody is going through something that they're struggling with and they feel that they're the only person who's struggling with it and then they see someone who's saying no i did the same thing and i'm okay that's when you go 
oh, okay, wait a minute, I'm not alone. There are other people who have been through this too. There's so much power in that. So I will never forget being, being as honest as, as I was. And I was very honest. I mean, I knew when I, if I was gonna write it ever, I was gonna wait until I could really write it. And I just, I think also it was the fact that I was turning 50 and there's, I felt very empowered by that. And I thought if I can't fully be who I am and deal with the truth and deal with who I am by 50, what am I doing? What a waste. I did not want to get to the end of my life and feel like I had hidden stuff, felt like I had to be ashamed of anything. It just, it, it, it wasn't what I, it wasn't what I wanted. And so writing it was cathartic, but releasing it has been, that's where the big change came from. Cause it really releasing it helped me further forgive myself and appreciate myself. And again, I don't focus on how I survived. I focus on the fact that I survived. And that's where the power is. We have to stop worrying about the messy road that it took to get to where we are and just be proud of ourselves for getting there. Mm -hmm. So I remember when I asked you previously on our call, an official call, like, if you are thankful that you went through all of it and, and you said no 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 <laughs> I'm thankful for my resilience that's right, right? that's right it's such a cliche yeah. everyone, everyone says that if you've been yeah. through any trauma people will say but but what you went through aren't you grateful what you went through it made you who you are no it didn't no it didn't my trauma didn't make me who I am my trauma beat the crap out of me mm. my losses beat the I'll never be grateful for the losses that I went through ever I'm not happy that my journey went the way it did I won't be grateful for that. My traumas didn't didn't get me through, but they made me prove my resilience. My resilience was always there. I just never had to depend on it before. But it's my resilience that I give credit to. I'm not giving credit to my trauma, but I'm giving credit to my resilience. Like, and if anybody is going through anything and they've survived it, they have to own that. They need to own that and be proud of themselves for getting through it. So yeah, I'll, I'll never be somebody that says, you know, I'm grateful for what I went. No, I'm not. I'm not at all. I'm still mad. <laughs> <laughs> I'm still mad <laughs> like that. <laughs> yeah, but it's it's so great that there, at least from my perspective, there are more and more people coming out of their shell and sharing their own life experience and their traumas. And as you mm -hmm. said, when somebody else is hearing that, it's like, whoa, I'm not alone. Yeah, and that's such right. a huge thing. And the that's more people that do that, then you're creating a safe space to do it. Right? The mm -hmm, more exactly. people, the more you can hear the raw, the dirty, the messy stuff, then people feel safe to share theirs. And that's what we need. We need to feel safe to share what we're going through because hiding it. Listen, you know, I pushed, I tried to push my trauma down for so long and it, you push it down so far, you, you, you end up doing the most damage. It's when you set it free, you get it out of your chest and your gut and your head, then you could get healthy. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I just, when I see you now on this call, I had in my head the, the dancing videos you're posting on socials. And I love that. You're such a happy, happy person <laughs> dancing there and sharing. I try. But you know what, though? It's funny because I always say, because people say, oh, you always have such great energy and you're always so happy. I'm like, not always. Like, life is, life is tough. And there are times when I dance because I'm happy. And there are times when I dance because I'm not, but I want to be happy. And I think you need to find the things that make you happy. And look, there are days, and I'm very honest about this. There are days when I know it's a heavy day, when maybe stuff's going on in my life or in the world. And it's, it's, and I'm, and I'm, I won't go, nope, you know, you, 
you got to be happy. No, those are the days that I'm extra kind to myself. I won't be productive. My, my goal is to take care of myself. So if I need to rest more, eat more, watch more TV, whatever it is I need to do, I will do that so that the next day I could go back to being, to feeling good again. But I'll tell you what's, what's, what I think was pretty important is I would post some dance videos and think at the beginning, like people are going to think I'm silly or they're going to think I'm like trying to show off or they're going to think I'm whatever. And I say all the time, I'm sure that every time I post a video, as, as I'll get a lot of people who are saying, oh, that's great. And I know there are just as many people going, oh, there she goes again, you know, but I don't <laughs> care. It doesn't bother me because I'll tell you something just in the last little while. I mean, I've had women message me and say, I have this one woman who had hip replacement surgery and she's had a lot of complications and she'll message me and say, I can't dance, but you haven't danced in a few days. I danced through you. And she said to me, I, when, I, when I watch you dance, I listen to my physiotherapist because I want to be able to at least wiggle like you do. So, and I'll get people saying, okay, I had a bad day. Can you dance to this song? So, you know, in, in, if I had let myself worry about what other people thought, and so I didn't post anything, mm. then I wouldn't be bringing some joy to other people. You know, I mean, it's, there's nothing wrong with being silly and, I think I wish that we we spent more time worrying about how our negative behavior affected other people that our positive behavior. So I don't care if I post something and people are going, oh, there she goes again. Yes, there I go. There again. I am. <laughs> <laughs> and I'll be back again. So tomorrow. Buckle up. Exactly. For it. No, I love it. I love it. I love it. So would you say you don't have any regrets right now? You you're trying to live your life without any regrets. I, I try to, I mean, I don't regret, look, I'll always regret the fact that my actions hurt other people. I'll think like that, that I'll always regret that, but, but I can forgive myself for, I don't beat myself up mm -hmm. for it because again, sure. I never, that was never my intention. I think the only things, I mean, you're never supposed to live with regret, but again, I'm kind of breaking the mold with that. The only thing I regret in my life is that, and again, it's not my fault, but, but I wish that I hadn't um, been so dependent in my marriage. I wish that I had learned some stuff that I needed to learn. I mean, I, I think I'm like a lot of women I found out who, who I was married for a very long time and I really, really trusted my partner. And when I left my marriage, I didn't know how to do anything for myself. And mm. that's been, you know, people say all the time, oh my God, you're so strong. You've been through so much. I'm like, yeah, but I, for sure in that way, but like normal things, I'm still learning. I, I had never paid a bill until I got divorced when I was 46 years old. I mean, I wrote, so somebody asked me recently, if I could go back in time, what's something I would tell myself? And honestly, my message was learn all the stuff that bores you. Like learn all the stuff that you have no interest in. I want to learn how to fix my own car. I want to learn how to, you know, do finances. I want to learn all the, I want to learn how to cook. I can't cook. Well, I don't really want to learn. I guess I could, but I mean, it's, it's, so that's my only regret is that, is that I didn't, I didn't put, I didn't invest in myself the way that I should have. But again, that's just not, that is, I didn't choose it. That's just not yeah. the way my life it's like went. You are different version now. Like you can say it now, but that was different version of you before. That's right. right. That's you right. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So as far as the, this, the first time in my life though, that I can look at myself and be proud of, of who I am. And I'm certainly not perfect and I have my flaws, but but it took me a really long time to, to like Marcy. It took me a really long time. And, and, and that is because I let, I let all that go. So there is so much power in forgiving yourself. I'm big on that, huge on that. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, my God, what a life, Marcy. So 
what those all those struggles or all those hard times taught you can you tell me I mean there are a lot of little lessons along the way mm-hmm. but I think kind of I, I'm not somebody who I, I'll have a lot of people who ask me where do you see yourself in five years and things like that I don't I I don't plan ahead I which is maybe great in some ways but I've learned that there's only so much you can prepare for in life and that I've learned to kind of go with what life throws at me and to know that I'll be okay. You mean there are struggles? I'm I'm constantly in survival mode because that's just the way my life is. I've never taken the easy path with anything. But I think what my life has taught me, one thing about about going through tough stuff is that every time you go through something tough and you survive it, you learn that you can survive it. And mm-hmm. so it's like that cliche of you've survived 100% of the tough times up to this point. You know, we've all done that. Whatever we've been through, we're still here. We've survived it. So I know I can I I've learned that I am much more of a survivor than I ever gave myself credit for. I learned that I'm stronger than I that I ever gave myself credit for. And I think it's to not worry about living up to other people's expectations. I don't try to live other, up to other people's expectations. I mean, I think my son said to me the other day, I was talking to him and he said, you're not regular, you know? And he's like, and, and he said it in a good way because he didn't feel like he's regular either. But I don't want to be regular, you know? I tried to be traditional and it, it felt awful. <laughs> so I don't try that anymore. But it's, it's, I realize I am who I'm supposed to be. Even if it doesn't look the way other people think it should look, even if it, it look, it's not, there are so many times I'll look at myself and go, how did this happen? Like, where, how is this my life? Like, this is not, this is not what I thought of when I was eight years old before everything started happening. This is not where I saw my life to be, but this is my life. And I'm, and it's, and it's, I'm okay with it. You know what I mean? Like it's the one I was given and I'm not, I'm not fighting it anymore. So I don't, I don't care that my life looks different than other people would expect. This is the life that I'm supposed to, I'm supposed to live. Yeah. The most important is when you feel it inside that that's alignment what I well yeah in. and it's it's still it's tough but it's the as tough as it is if you're living honestly I mean there, for me there was nothing harder than when I was trying to be somebody I wasn't I mean that's just an you can have all the financial security in the world you can have all the things in the world but if you feel like you're living a lie or you feel like you're not living it's your full potential or it's a horrible feeling I hate that feeling of being trapped Now there are different struggles but but now I'm living honestly and I'm living I'm the person I think I'm supposed to be and there really is there's such a peace with that because in the past the world could be great and it, I was a mess inside now mm-hmm. the world could be a mess but if I'm okay then I'm okay and that's that's because you can't control what's going on out there but if you're okay then then you're okay <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that's very true. Yeah. So Marcy, tell us where we can find your book, where we can buy your book. You can buy it. I guess the easiest place is on Amazon. You can get it uh as an ebook, you can get it paperback, and now it's on Audible. So it is now an audiobook. So an Audible or through Amazon or iTunes. So in Audible we are fortunate enough to hear your voice as well, right? I think. Yes. 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 Through you. Yeah. So on iTunes and through through Amazon too, you can get the audiobook or through Audible. But yes, it's audio or that's an interesting, that was an interesting experience to say it. Writing it is one thing. To, yeah. To hear yourself say it. Whew, that was I heard you. I, 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 I heard that audio. 
yeah but it's really good to... and it feels like you're having a conversation with me when i'm when you're reading it i don't i'm not shakespeare i'm not trying to be fancy so it, it's just me talking so it made sense for me to do it if I, it wouldn't it would have felt very strange if someone else was yeah, was yeah. reading those words <laughs> And uh, what are you actually doing uh, nowadays? Like, are you in fitness business still or? No, I mean, no. I still do body image stuff. I still work with people. I still mm-hmm. um, will get people who want some help sort of dealing with their body image. And now since my book came out, I have people contacting me to help them through some shame and some guilt that they, they do. I'm sort of a mentor with that. Mm-hmm. There are things that people aren't comfortable talking about with therapists or with other people, but they, they're comfortable with me and, and I've been through it. So I help with that and I'm still doing some I do some freelance writing so it's it's the it's the the body image shame stuff and and I do write for fitness magazine but it's on sort of the the, it's the body image part of it Mm -hmm. it's not the fitness part of it yeah that's all part and we where we can get in touch with you then through socials or yeah well I mean through socials um through my yeah I guess that's the easiest place because I really am just Mm. it's so easy because it's Marcy Warhaft just my name so through Facebook or Instagram. I do have, I mean, another way to get my book is through www.thegoodstripper.com. But I mean, you could also just post my, which is also pretty easy and people can contact me that way. Yeah. Okay. So I'm going to, I'd love if people read the book. I'd love, I'd love if anyone reads it to contact me personally and tell me what they think because I love hearing that. Can we, can we leave you a review on on Amazon? Yes, on Amazon. That would be, yeah. And then, yeah, the, or if you got an audible, you can leave it there or an Amazon. Yes. I really, authors love that. It it makes a difference. So that would be great. Perfect. I really recommend the book, guys. I really, I mean, that was, yeah, it's easy, easy listen, easy read as well, because you are really engaging with the, mm. with the audience, I would say. I don't know, but it's really, really That's great. That's good. So That's good. Thank you. I'm going to leave you a review soon. So thank you, Marcy, for your time, for sharing your journey. Oh. It was a great pleasure. Thank you for your interest in my story. I appreciate that. Thank you everyone for listening to our conversation. We both hope it inspired you and let us know what resonated with you the most. And don't forget to share the episode with someone who needs to hear this message. So inspire and get inspired. Speak soon. Mm-hmm.